Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. The advice and opinions expressed by Dr. Grant Pichet and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Pichet. Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm good. I was just waxing poetic yesterday about you and, and telling somebody about you and about how amazing, somebody who's outside the field of autism. Oh. But it was just, I, you know, it, it just, I missed you. I've been away. Oh, yes. Um, and, uh, but I was just talking about you and how amazing you are and what a difference you've made in the field of autism. Thank you. In general, but how much of a difference you've made in our lives. And, oh, thank you uh, so much. It's no. funny because yesterday I was talking about you. Oh, how funny with, is that? Uh, Sarah, and I was telling her that I read uh, one of your social media posts and I was dying <laughs> laughing. <laughs> and yeah. that you're such a talented comedian and you don't know it. Oh, well, I mean, I was, was a comedian for a while. But I, um, yes, I, if, for those of you who aren't friends with me on Facebook, you should go friend me. Um, and I don't get very much time. I think it was to... about the hike. Yeah. It was, oh my God, Shannon. <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know how I'm sitting here alive, <laughs> but it was a spiritual experience, let me tell you, because I, I pushed myself in a way that I have not pushed myself in a really long time, and uh, it was really lovely, and I had a really good time. But, um, but <laughs> I posted about what was going on inside my head, and I was pretty honest about it. So anyway, there's that. But I so I'm so glad to be back with all of you. I missed all of you, and I met a mom on the trail. Unbelievable! That um, she had a bumper sticker on that said, "I have a child with autism in the car," and I was like, "Hey, where'd you get that?" And then we got into a conversation. The places that you will meet yes. other moms on the journey, right? Yep. But anyway, we're thrilled to be here today, and uh, especially because this is called Ask Dr. Doreen where you get to ask questions, all of you from around the world, for free. Um, you know, for during the next hour, she donates her time so that she can answer your questions. Please be as specific as possible. We always give you the disclaimer that there is no expert in this or any other field who could give you individual specific advice in this format. Because it would be a disservice to think that Dr. Grampiche, without laying eyes on the situation, uh, would be able to know everything that's going on, and that would be a disservice to the person on the spectrum. But having said that, if you send your questions as specifically as possible, she will let you know her thoughts, and you can have a conversation back and forth. We are live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites. Our fabulous Traven will let you know some of the different places where you can be watching the show. We do the show in a couple of different formats. So we're live right now, and you can be watching us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and that's wonderful, and you can interact with us right now. Later on, this show will be available, the recorded version, on YouTube, and if you want to see any of the videos that we've done over the last 
13 years, which is crazy to say, they're all um, there on the library in on the YouTube channel. But we also are a podcast. This show will be podcast. The audio only will be available wherever you get your podcasts. It's a free download wherever you get those. I do want to tell you that previously, if you there's an app, Autism Live, and there was the Autism Live podcast. And if you subscribe to that, you would get Ask Dr. Doreen. That's still true today, but very soon we're going to sunset that because Ask Dr. Doreen exists now as its own podcast. We find that we're doing so many things. We want to have the bandwidth to do more things. And we, you know, I, I think for the people who are watching Ask Dr. Dream, we, we don't want to spam them with everything else that we're doing. <laughs> Not that it's spam. It's all good content. But, you know, there are categories. So we are asking you, if you are an Ask Dr. Doreen fan, as you should be, as I am, that you subscribe to that podcast. And you can do that you, um, wherever you get your podcast. And you can also visit AskDrDoreen.com. That's another place that you can be sending in your questions. Mm-hmm. Um, the fabulous Marina gets those questions and she makes sure that she ferries them to me. You'll also find a lot of really wonderful resources that Marina has put together for you on AskDrDoreen.com. Okay, I'm out of breath. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. Um, and we do want to say, as we, as we start the show, I, I want to I go to the little save the date. Um, because oh, we have yeah. A, we have a very important event that's coming up in October. It's the second annual All Ghouls Gala. Would you like to that's talk right. about that a little? Absolutely. So, And this is our annual fundraiser for Autism Care Today. And it will be this year um, in Woodland Hills at the Woodland Hills Country Club. That is, uh, for those of you who don't live in L.A., this is the northern suburb of Los Angeles. And we are really looking forward to having as many people as possible come. I think last year we had somewhere close to 400 people. Um, Of course, we do have some very, very special guests. Uh, Dr. Temple Grandin has already confirmed. We're very excited to have Temple there. And um, I think you were working on some additional folks. Well, um, and these are these are our award winners because every year we give out the Lending Your Voice Award to people who have lent their voice to the larger community to help right. spread information and awareness and acceptance. So as you said, Dr. Temple Grandin is accepting an award and will be there in person. But also Joe Montaigne oh, has, has agreed um, to be there and to, to be an honoree. And That's so we're fantastic. very excited about that. And additionally, Ariva Martin oh, uh, will be there and be accepting an award. We have one more award that we're waiting to let you know um, who that will be. It will be a, a, maybe a surprise. Um, but it's shaping up to be a really fabulous evening. Oh my gosh, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. And it's an adult Halloween party. Yes, it is. And, it, and, and uh, you know, it's a very serious Halloween event. So good costumes. Like last yes. year we had some pretty amazing oh. costumes. And we will have a costume contest as well. Yeah. And lots and lots of other fun things. Activities there. and things. Mm-hmm. But again, it is an adult That's Halloween right. party. And it is the 28th of October, which is a Saturday. But let's roll the, now that we've said all that, let's roll the save the date and take a look at this. Hey, it's code orange, babies. You know what that means? It's time to save the date for the second annual Ghouls Gala. It's a ghoulishly good time. Adults only! 
Sorry, kiddies. It's all happening on October 28th in Woodland Hills, California. They're raising money for autism care today. So you better be there. I'd hate to have to come looking for you. Tickets go on sale in just a couple of weeks. You want to be watching, because it will sell out. Wonderful. I have to brag a little. My son shot and edited that. It's so fantastic. I, I, I love that kid. He's so talented. Okay, we're saying good morning <clears throat> to Yasmin and to Anna and Michelle and Sarah and Autism Journey with Elijah and Chem 7 and anybody else who is out there who is watching. We'll get to some of your comments in just a second. Uh, we do have a topic that we start mm -hmm. every show with, and uh, but that doesn't mean you can't ask questions about other things. But we like to just start off with something like that. And so our topic this morning is autism and sleep disorders. And I'm going to take one of the live questions first. Chem 7 Fender says, my son does not sleep throughout the night. He wakes up around 1 or 2 p.m. and would just I start. I would assume a.m. maybe. Oh, did I? Oh, yes. yes. Uh, yeah, I think uh, a.m. is what, what we mean there. And would just start jumping on the bed. And he would do that until five, then he would fall asleep sometimes. He does have ADHD, and I think that complicates things uh, in terms of relaxing. He is on a schedule. Melatonin does not help. So how do we get him to sleep? Would sleep therapy work? Thank you for writing that in. Yeah, so it's a great question to kick us off into yes, the it sleep sure is. Yeah. issues. And there are many different sleep issues. Um, I would, you know... So a lot of kids who are, are, have ADHD obviously are on ADHD medication. So I don't know if your child is or not, but certainly if he is being given any kind of stimulant, which is the type of medication that's given for ADHD usually, uh, so Ritalin, Adderall, Vyvanse, etc., then it is likely that that might be interfering with his sleep. Uh, it is possible. Um, I think you should, and you said, you know, I, I'm just trying to be realistic because always we tell people like go to a sleep clinic, which usually at universities, they have these sleep clinics that are very um, high tech and they will do what's called a sleep EEG or, or they will place a little device or even just electrodes and uh, check to see what the brain waves are when your child is sleeping. And the reason they do that is because they're looking to see if there's any kind of brain activity like subclinical seizures, for instance, that could be waking the child up. That's a pretty difficult thing to do. Like if it was me and I had to do this, and there's UCLA close by, but it's, it's difficult. It's intrusive and it's hard to do. But that is kind of the, you know, if you've done everything else, that's the thing to do because... They will figure out what is going on and why your child isn't sleeping. Before that, there's a few other things that you could try. One is um, obviously try if you if he is getting yeah on. It says he's on oh guanfacine. Well, so guanfacine is supposed to be one of those medications that doesn't really interfere all that much, but it is possible. So what I would do is give him the guanfacine a little bit earlier if you can. Um, and it's not 
usually guanfacine is not time release, so it's possible that you could, I don't know when you're giving it to him now, maybe you can give it to him first thing in the morning. Um, sometimes people give two doses, so one in the morning, one at uh, like lunchtime. I'm not sure what your physician has instructed you to do, but go back and talk to that physician and perhaps make the guanfacine dose a little bit earlier so that there's enough time for him to settle down. Um, I know how you feel about melatonin. Melatonin is one of those things that works for some children, but it wakes them up several hours later, like four or five hours later. So like when people take melatonin, they often wake up in the middle of the night. So I don't know if you were trying that or not. Sometimes parents tell me that their children do very well with just something as simple as Benadryl. Um, and Benadryl is very helpful, diphenhydramine. It's really helpful in making the child drowsy. I don't want to give you medical advice. I would really suggest that you talk to your pediatrician and say, what are my options? Is there anything that I can give him that would help him sleep? There's homeopathic types of things that you can try as well, obviously. So there's, for instance, um, you know, things that have a lot, chamomile will be very helpful and so on. Now, that's one thing. The other, so that's kind of like stuff that will potentially help the child. And obviously there are other ways you can help as well. So for example, make sure your child's room is very dark. Darkness helps us produce melatonin ourselves, so that's very important. Make sure that around 2 or 3 in the morning, there's no specific stimulus that's waking him up. We may not be aware of it. Sometimes I know that like our kids are so sensitive to hearing. Let's say the sprinkler system outside or the neighbor's house might be going off at 2 in the morning, and that's what's waking your child up. I'm not sure. Make sure that the environmental factors are not interfering in some way. And I'm not sure if you can stay in his room one night, or maybe that's not a good idea because he might start getting used to that. Maybe you want to just set up a recorder so that you can just record sounds, see if anything's going on during the night that's waking him up. These are all important things. Um, and then I want to make sure that you're not rewarding him waking up, which is a very, very common thing. Our kids wake up. We all wake up, by the way, numerous times. But what happens is we go back to sleep usually. Like if I get up at 2 just to go to the bathroom or something and I take my phone, mm. that's it for me. Like I will be <laughs> up for the rest of the night, yep. right? You're not supposed to do other things, especially one of the things that, we often do when our kids wake up is we'll give them a drink. And if you start giving your child, let's say, milk or any kind of drink, water might be okay, but other drinks, if you give the child something, then it becomes a habit for the stomach, actually. And on a schedule, your child will wake up around the same time because then now they want that little tiny amount of calories in their body to come in at 2 or 3 in the morning. So make sure you're not doing that a lot of times that becomes the reason that they continue to wake up. And also make sure that your child's not getting up at three or four and coming over to you, because that's another thing that happens is like it just becomes a fun routine that, hey, at three o'clock I can wake up and go over and join mom and dad. And then that becomes part of the problem as well. So, you know, if any of those things are happening, you have other protocols to follow, which is just making sure your child learns to stay in their own bed. 
Uh, but let's start with figuring out why he's waking up, make sure it's quiet, make sure it's dark, peaceful, make sure he has a very comfortable, like nothing in his room is uncomfortable. And, uh, and then I would um, talk to his physician about other things. I don't know what you mean when you say sleep therapy. I'm not aware of what that would be. Uh, but let us know and we have to talk about it. So here's my naive question. Yes. Because um, I think there are several different gradations of, of sleep issues and disorders that kids have. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and I don't want to make light of the fact that some kids have like intense sleep disorders that this would not take care of. But the question when I was, because I could never get Jem to sleep. Mm -hmm. Once he was asleep, he would be asleep, but I couldn't get him to sleep. And um, a mom said to me, okay, but is that ever not true? Mm -hmm. Is it ever not true? Is there ever a time when he goes to sleep yep. and he sleeps all night long? And I said, well, you know, we went to Disneyland, for example, and he, we, you know, we ran around all day long in the sunshine and then we came home and he slept through the whole night. And so they he said, was tired enough. Right. Yes. And so they said to me, is it possible that your child isn't getting enough outdoor time and enough exercise? And I thought, yes, because mm -hmm. I'm not the outdoor girl. And so we started, Good you know, point. building it into the schedule. And, and that helped Very good. a great yeah. deal. I'm not saying that it took care of everything. And obviously there are sleep issues that yeah. You, you, this would not take care of it, but it is a good question, right? Absolutely. I mean, any, you, totally, totally. I mean, you, you make such a good point, not just like physical activity and keeping the child active, but also like just waking up earlier, perhaps. Yes. Like if I sleep in one day, which lately for me sleeping in is like eight. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, yeah. You know, if you sleep in in the morning, if your schedule allows you to start later, then you're just, your body is used to, uh, sleeping later right so that's a very good point and so make sure your child's not getting too much sleep right like if he's falling asleep at 5 a.m how long does he sleep after that that's a very very important thing to look at and as shannon said there's also portions of sleep that are on it's on a cycle right i mean we go through a sleep cycle so if you go to a, a sleep clinic, like a place, you know, like UCLA or any university, depending on where you are, most universities will have a sleep program or lab. Um, they will educate you on the cycle and how different sections of the cycle are, are um, affected by different things. So it's really important to know what part of the cycle he's actually waking up yeah. in. I love that now in some places, like I know in Orange County, uh, and this may be just because of Lisa Ackerman, they have vans uh -huh. that go and park outside your house that have Bluetooth so that, that you put a cap on your child's head, they sleep in their own bed, and the tech is yeah. in the van outside yeah. your house yeah. instead of all the other things that you used to have to it's do. Amazing. So I know they have that in Orange County. I don't think they have it everywhere, but it's worth looking into to see if they have yes. it because that, because yes. my point was always you go to the sleep clinic and it's supposed to be like home, but it's not like no, home, no, you know? No, it never is. And for your kiddos, hard, hard, hard. Well, nowadays they have so many different versions of devices that can take an EEG, it's pretty simple. Yeah, they even have, uh, my uh, my husband did a sleep study at home. It's a thing that sits on your chest. Oh, that's for apnea. Yes. I mean, that's another thing, by the way, make sure that your child doesn't have an issue with breathing during mm. the night, because that could be a big factor as well. There we yes, go. for apnea, they will definitely attach something here. For EEGs, it's like a cap. Yes, so I've had that. So it's not a big deal, yeah. 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 
Pretty impressive stuff. Okay, so Yasmin wrote in with a really long question that I'm going to consolidate for us a little okay. bit. She's got a 13-year-old boy who he is saying that he hates little girls, especially blonde little girls. And this is concerning to her. She mm -hmm. says that sometimes he will stare, sometimes he will point and say, mm -hmm. I, I you know, don't like that person. Uh, recently, they went on a field trip and there was an incident that um, there was a little girl and he actually physically grabbed a hold of somebody and it took quite a bit for him to let go. She's concerned about that. She says that he did apologize and that the, the person that he grabbed was very understanding about it, but that he's getting bigger and yeah. this is a big concern yeah. to her. She wants to know, how can I help him with this? When I take him out, I do tell him if he sees a little girl and mm -hmm. he points or says that he hates them or anything else like that, yeah. that, they, that she says we have to leave right away. And she says that going out is his favorite thing mm. and that's the only thing that she she's been able to think of so far is that I will take away your favorite thing if you engage in this behavior. But she says, please help and thank you. Well, good. I mean, what you're doing is what's what we call response cost. So good for you that you've figured out sort of a solution for the time being. There's a lot of different things I want to say about this. So I don't know your child. So depending on your child's uh, ability to understand abstract rules, gr what we call gray rules, you could go one of two different ways, but I'm gonna kind of talk to you about the simple and then the, a little bit more complex direction. The simple issue here is that, um, you know, the, let's just discuss why these types of things happen. So our kids have a, uh, what we call overselectivity. They kind of generalize to, to various aspects of stimuli that we don't understand why. For instance, uh, actually, I'll give a good example, and I'm going in five different directions, so I'll have to come back. <laughs> but like when you go out to a restaurant and you eat something, if you go home and you have a stomachache that night, you will then generalize that anything that's within that type of food you're not going to eat again. For yeah. example, I ate Mexican food. I was really sick. I'm never eating Mexican food again. That's overgeneralization, right? So what you're do, what you're, our kids tend to do also is that they'll see something on TV maybe or uh, where it's a blonde little girl doing something and they generalize that all blonde little girls are not good or they might hear a blonde little girl screaming and that sound really bothers them. Whatever it is, some stimulus has, will possibly cause him to fear or dislike that particular looking person or thing or whatever it is. So the real issue becomes, can we get our child to explain the why? And oftentimes the answer is no, because a lot of times our kids are A, not aware of it, it's just something that has classically conditioned itself, yeah. or they don't have the language or the abstract thinking to be able to describe to you what's causing them to dislike that stimulus. So what you have to do in the short term is you just have to set a rule that this is not okay. Just a very, no, no reasoning behind it. There's just, you don't go close to or touch another person without their permission, whether it's blonde or not, or it's up to you what the rule is. You set the rule, you then uh, reward your child. So taking your child away whenever there's a child with a, a little blonde girl is not giving him the opportunity to learn. 
Of course, you don't want to necessarily do this with just strangers, but if you know of another blonde child in, in your family, you should probably practice this where the blonde little girl comes over and your child is now given a series of things that he is allowed to do and not allowed to do. You're not allowed to go grab. You are allowed to talk to the person. You are allowed to do these things. You're not allowed. So give him the opportunity to learn how to um, behave the, according to the rules that you have just set. And that's kind of the easy way out for now, depending on if your child has the capability to learn more abstract things or not. If your child can learn more abstract things, then you need to start another program, which is kind of levels of interaction. And you essentially will, A, you could do, for instance, something that allows the child to overcome if it's a phobia. I mean, I don't, this is the problem. I don't know yeah. if it's a dislike or a phobia. Sometimes our kids will aggress towards something that they fear, right? So if it's a phobia, then let us know and we can talk about systematic desensitization, which is a process to overcome any kind of fear. If it's just an, an aggression towards another individual, then you need to, you know, the, the more complex way of dealing with it is to teach the child uh, about feelings and understanding like how you should, when are the times that you can be angry, when are the times that it's a cause and effect thing. And even if you are angry, you're not able to aggress towards others, you can verbalize how you feel instead of hit. So there's a very, it's like a much, much, much longer set of programs to actually teach the child to reason with, understand their own emotions. These are multiple programs. Um, and then express their, more, their emotions in a more adaptive way than hitting. And those are all the different lessons. But until you can teach all of that, you need to set the rule that we don't hit, we don't squeeze someone's arms, we don't pinch, push, whatever it is that he's doing, and give him the opportunity to succeed at that, at which point you will reward him heavily. Taking away his stuff is one thing, that's effective as well, but rewarding him being able to sit in the presence of another, of a young blonde child, uh, is going to be very meaningful as well. Yeah, and your your life will be better. His life will be better. Absolutely. Right? Uh, Stephen has written in and said, Hi, can you explain the restrictive repetitive behavior part of autism? My son tends to gravitate towards routine, but doesn't get upset if I change the routine mm -hmm. and explain the change. Does that count? That's a, a great question, Stephen. And I love talking about restrictive repetitive behaviors because... First of all, there's so many and they're so broad. Yeah. And I personally, I don't think they should all be classified as the same thing because I think they all have different functions, different reasons. So um, you're specifically referring to restricted uh, to routines, and um, to me, we all have routines. And if you think about uh, our own routines, they, we tend to increase our routines when we're a little bit anxious. And that's kind of interesting. Like for instance, if I'm late, I will always use maps instead of ways, just because I'm very comfortable with maps. That's my routine, right? Yeah. 
if I'm uh, like you just turn to routine because routine gives you a sense of control, right? And that's how we all are. We will set things in order because order makes us feel like we're more in control. If somebody can come and disrupt your routine and you're okay with it, that's fine. That's yeah. very, very typical of all of us. Um, you just want to kind of make sure that I, I really, at this point, Stephen, and I don't know your child, but I wouldn't really worry about it too much unless the routines are getting to be extremely obvious and in every environment. Mm -hmm. they, to me, setting routines is kind of a sign of anxiety, but we all have a little bit of it. If sure. it's too much, then you want to start thinking about what's like helping him with the anxiety as opposed to blocking the routine. Like, what is causing the anxiety to begin with and how can you make him comfortable with that? And if you do make him comfortable with that, then very likely the routines will stop or reduce. Okay. Uh, back to the sleep issues. Somebody had written in and said, is it normal for kids on the spectrum to not be able to sleep? I have twins, both diagnosed. They are six. I feel like I have not slept in six years. Oh, my gosh. They were like this as babies. One would go to sleep. The other would wake up. Neither of them ever wants to go to sleep. They fight it. And neither of them sleeps for more than three hours ever. I feel like I'm drowning. I can only imagine. And that's, that's not okay for you, and it's not okay for them yeah. either. I mean, that is... No, this, yes, so a lot of kids with autism do have sleep issues for different reasons, right? There are some children, as I said, who are having gastrointestinal pain, and that wakes them up. Um, there are some children who are having subclinical seizures. That wakes them up. There are some children who are very sensitive to sound and stimuli, and that wakes them up. There are just children who, you know, one of the things that happens is we get used to once we are given the diagnosis of autism, we tend to treat our kids differently as parents, right? So with a typically developing child, they're also not sleeping usually at one. Most of the time, the child's not sleeping at one. And we go through one of the most difficult parts of early parenting, which is teaching our children to sleep. We do various schedules. We don't go in when they cry, or we go in and just comfort them and leave. Like all these things that we do, which are intended to help our children learn that sleeping time is sleeping time, we tend not to do when our kids have a diagnosis of autism because we think differently about them. So for a variety of different reasons, our children on the spectrum don't learn to have a full night's sleep. Um, and that is a very, very bad cycle, not just for you, as, as this mom says. Yeah but also for the children, because you need to have at least five hours of sleep in order just for your neurotransmitters to start functioning normally. So, and this is a big deal. So yes, you need to, I wouldn't say that, you know, as a whole, you can say, oh, children with autism have sleep issues. They do, but it's because of all these other peripheral things, right? And so I think that it's important for you to deal with this. It's, it's very important. And now you're extremely exhausted. So the first thing I would do is I would get some family to come in and help. Like I would do a sleep intervention for a week 
and I would try to get as much help as possible, even if you have to hire people who are overnight nannies or get your mom or your you know, sister, cousin, neighbors, friends, whoever you can gather, have a, a, a plan and get a, like three or four people so that they can each take one night and help you. And what has to happen here is, I mean, and then with twins, there's also the possibility that they wake each other up. So yeah. I don't know if it's possible for you to split the twins up into two different rooms. Often it's not possible. But, you know, the good news with twins is that they kind of get acclimated to each other's sounds and they are better. But this the whole thing will be easier if it's possible for you to put them in two different bedrooms. If it's not possible, we're just dealing with what we're dealing with. But what you should do is you should select, and there's lots of different sleep schedules. You should look up, you know, how to teach a child to sleep. There's so many different ways you could do this. The one that I did, which I liked the most, um, is you basically have, a, a, you start to produce a schedule. You start with the child will, one of the baby, one of the kids will wake up, the person, whoever is in charge of that night, and it's not going to be you. You're going to have maybe one night of the week, the rest of the time you're sleeping. Um, it's going to have to be those trusted individuals, and you all have to kind of train together. And so if somebody wakes up, if one of the kids wakes up, they go in and um, they will not pick up the child. They will comfort the child. So these should be probably people that the child's kind of familiar with as well. Um, they will comfort the child and uh, then come outside. And if the child continues crying, they wait five minutes, go back in, comfort the child again. You know, everything's okay, calm down, come outside. 10 minutes this time, then go in and comfort, and the third time it'll be 15 minutes, and from there on, if it continues, it's 15 minutes before they go back in. These schedules, there's lots of different options, and they all kind of work. It's just getting the child through. It's teaching the child to understand that they're going to have to self-soothe. They're going to have to learn to calm themselves down. I will tell you, night one will be horrible, night two might be horrible, night three might be horrible, but by night four, you're going to be in better shape. The kids are going to learn to fall back asleep. Um, it might be a little bit longer if the t twins are in the same room and they're also waking each other up. They might kind of exacerbate by doing this, but... Please, once you start this, just go with it. That's why I'm saying, you know, get four or five people to come in and help you. Um, and let me tell you, it's a lot easier for them than it is for you. I mean, it, I used to have such a hard time just letting my child cry. Yeah. And I would just keep going in. Whereas, like, my husband was like, are you crazy? Like, you're not supposed to go in. Don't we know this schedule? You know, so it's much easier for someone else other than you. But I really, really recommend that you start this. Now, you can obviously talk to, and it's a good idea, to do a kind of a check with your pediatrician, make sure that there's nothing else going on, do all the things we just talked about a little bit earlier, make sure the room is dark, it's quiet, there's no external stimuli that are waking you, make sure the child has, both of them have a lot of activity during the day, Make sure they're not sleeping in in the morning. In fact, when you start doing this and they all are like awake during the night, keep them awake during the day. 
Yeah. Don't let them fall asleep in the afternoon because that that'll mess up your night schedule as well. These are all things that you need to keep track of, right? Uh, shorten their day uh, sleep if there is any going on. Make sure they're not sleeping. Make sure they get tired. Um, you, you know, you can certainly use supplements. You can give them chamomile supplements. You can certainly use melatonin if it works for you. There are types of melatonin that uh, for children that are mixed with things like theanine that'll help the child sleep a little bit longer. You can certainly use things like Benadryl if it's a short term. Um, and these are things that'll just help your child be a little bit, your children be a little bit calmer. And it's about helping them more in the beginning. And then once it becomes a habit, which usually habits are formed after three days. When, you, when you've made a habit, then it becomes a little bit easier to fade back those additional resources like supplements or you know, anything else that you've been using. I just it's want to tough. double down on something you said, though, about yeah. getting help and support. Yes, yes. Because here's the thing. None of us have our greatest judgment when we are tired. And then when we are exhausted, multiply that in infinite infinitum what is the word i'm trying to say add infinite there we go okay so i mean just think about if you're a little bit tired and it's the middle of the night yes we we tend to give in because all we want is to rest and if you are six years tired and believe me i think there are a lot of us that understand what you what you're saying yes six years tired And I mean, I said at one point that I didn't, hadn't slept in 10 years, that I just, you know, it just hadn't happened. And it wasn't all my son. Part of it was the anxiety of what was going to happen. But it leads you to not be capable of doing some of these interventions. Absolutely. Give yourself, you know, you got to ask around and look around. And I know a lot of times the gut reaction is I have no one. I have no one that could do this. I, I think that Sometimes that's the knee-jerk reaction. I want you to go back and really think about who who do I have who could help me with this. Yes. Um, and you know, and if you can't find anybody else here in California, you can ask the regional center for help and support yeah. with that. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy to find somebody, no, but it's that's not the direction easy. you got to go yeah. in order to be able to get through it. Yeah. I know that was the very first thing that was said to me because, you know, we, we had to take a 16-hour class before we could even start ABA. Oh. And, and at that class, they made us list, like, what were the three top issues that you had? And I listed that he didn't sleep, that he was banging his head on the kitchen floor, and that I wanted him to talk again. And, and I remember very distinctly when we started services that you guys said, we have to get the sleep thing under control first, Shannon, because otherwise you won't be able to carry through on what we're going to do for the banging in the head on the floor. Yeah, everyone. Right? And and it was sort of, ama- can I just say it was amazing because they got the sleep thing working within five days. It was yeah. crazy. I, I was a little bit mad. Yeah, of course. To be honest, because I was <laughs> like, really, if it was that easy, then why didn't somebody save me a long time yeah. ago? Right? I was I was a little furious about it, but I was also better slept, so I got over it quicker. So ask for help. And if you're not yeah. already getting ABA... Did you have someone in your house at night? No, no. But they... they Gave you a schedule. Total and they said, schedule. To the schedule, yeah. And, uh, and they got rid of the naps. 
But there was the, you know, every 15 minutes they had it so regimented yep. for me and they said, just, we, are you willing to just follow it? And I remember saying, oh yeah, I'll follow your thing. I'm going to be awake all night long. And it worked the first night and I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? oh, these people yeah. know more than I do. It's very humbling, you guys. Well, I mean, um, if it works the first night, you're just thankful, right? And usually, and, and don't expect that because sometimes it'll go three nights or something and you're just done with it, but do not give in because yeah. what you're doing is you're teaching your child that I'm here, but I'm not here every single time you cry. I'm here on a schedule. And so the child realizes their crying is not what's bringing you in. They're, so their go. crying is not going to be effective. And honestly, it, you know, once you've checked everything and you know the child is, our children, this is how they learn how to sleep. This is what we do with every child. Yeah. Uh, Helen has, no, Helen, we're saying hello to you. Dark Angel has written in and said, how do I stop my five-year-old hugging little kids? Right. It's uh, funny that you wrote that, Dark Angel, because when I was reading the first question that came yeah. in, I thought, is that what this is? And so sometimes... Um, our children do that. I, I, not to laugh at it, I just think one of, it's one of the cute things that our kids do. You know, they, they hug other kids. I think it's the most adorable thing. This is, again, um, we used to have a lesson. Again, this has to do with the level of comprehension of your child and their age. Sometimes the younger the child is, they, it's harder for them to understand what we call levels of relationships. Um, and initially, you just have to give them a rule if, if it's very disturbing and they're hugging all kids and the other kids are getting upset by it and all that sort of stuff. You give them a rule about not being able to do it. You don't have to explain the rule if the child doesn't have the ability to understand the explanation. It's just a black and white rule. This is not okay. You know, talking to someone or standing this distance is okay. If the child can learn, then the way that we do it is we give them a kind of levels and you basically will set that up based on the people that are, it starts with the closest group, right? People that are allowed to be hugged, like mommy, daddy, siblings, perhaps, grandmother, etc. And th that's the inner circle. And then you have pictures of those people and you actually have rules about them. Like these are the, th these are the ways you can say hello or goodbye. You could do this, you could do this, you could kiss them, you can hug them, you can do whatever. The next level is, let's say, your friends. And these are these kids, and this is how you say hello to them. And you can have different options, but hugging is not going to be necessarily one of them. The next level is, let's say, acquaintances of the family or friends of the family, adults. The next level, so you just take it out, and then the ultimate level is obviously strangers, and with strangers, you're not supposed to say hello at all. You stay away from them for now. So, and you have to define what a stranger is, by the way. So all of, you know, you, you're teaching your child what is okay and what's not okay in gradients, and the reason I always start with the rule is because it's harder for our kids to learn those levels, those gradients, um, because those gradients to us are very simple, but to our kids, they're very hard. Like, for instance, it's to, nuance. nuances. It's, it's hard to know who a stranger is. It's hard to know, uh, you know, if it's a cousin, I can do this, but another child, I can't. Like, those types of things are hard. It takes a little bit longer for the child to learn. 
Um, but initially, you just kind of give them a rule. Another thing that you can do, obviously, a lot of this comes from our children not understanding social rules, but also not having the ability to see the other person's perspective. So sometimes you might want to, like, another way to go about this is to, you know, have someone just suddenly go up to your child and hug them. And if that makes them uncomfortable, then you're teaching your child to see the world from the, from the perspective of the other child who was just, you know, you see someone and you hug them, it's kind of startling, right? And that's another way to teach your child is like, look, people don't like it when you hug them. This is how they feel. And you want to make sure other kids like you. So this is not how you, these are all very abstract um, ways and things that absolutely our kids can learn. But it really depends on where they are in their learning cycle. If this is too advanced, you need to just give them a rule and, and adhere to that. See, I'm used to crash into other kids. Okay. It wasn't hugging. I think you remember, I remember yeah. you saying that. And, yeah. um, and we worked on it in a lot of different ways, and it would get better, and then we would have these little spats of it. Um, and it was happening at school, and I think if we had had a card aid at school, that would never have happened. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Sure. But it's hard in sure. a classroom and... And um, yeah. but what finally did it for him was there was a series that they did on HBO about a little boy. It was like called Peter Goes to Kindergarten. And he was a boy that um, had intellectual disability. He didn't have autism. But um, they and they got the approval of everyone in the kindergarten class. All the parents agreed that all the little kids. So they made a series of it. Yes. And then then they went back like two years later and he went to second grade and and when Jem was a, about in second grade was when the second grade one came out. And Peter was crashing into the other kids. Wow. And then they would interview the other little kids and say, how do you feel when Peter crashes you into go. you? And the other little kids would say, I like Peter, but I don't like it when he crashes yeah. into me. Yeah. Jem saw that and that was it. Right. He like totally right. got it. Now, if we had showed that to him when he was five, I don't know that he would have understood it. That's my point. It yeah. really has to do with where the child is at yeah. that point. Yeah. Very true. Um, but what a valuable lesson on so many different levels. When you teach this kind of work. Oh, yeah. Um, because it also teaches boundaries for them. Definitely. That are safety and will help keep them safe because we know that there are predators out there. And by the way, and this takes me back to something you often say is that, like, you know, when we say work on teaching something, we don't mean work on it in real life when it's happening. Mm. We mean take the time like, for instance, say, okay, every day this week from 3 to 4, I'm going to work on this specific skill. Or, you know, every Monday I'm going to, like, set it up as, as, a, as a task that you are teaching your child. So you're focused on that and you're able to manipulate the environmental factors in order to make this into a lesson. Sometimes we think, oh, I'll just tell him every time that's not okay. And that is too messy and it's too spread out. Like you need your child to be exposed to this as a lesson in a compact period of time with the same contingencies over and over until they learn it. So yeah. that's important. That's amazing. Uh, we're acknowledging uh, our journey, Cameron's New Life, uh, that they say that they had an opportunity. They talked with a reporter oh. recently about how amazing your ABA is and how grateful they are you, to have been you. exposed to that. Uh, so Charlie's mom says, hello, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. My daughter just turned three and started Diflucan. 
But now she's up till 5 a.m. and not responding to melatonin like she used to. We did a week of activated mm -hmm. charcoal that seemed to work, but now she's up again until 5 a.m. What's the problem? Oh, first of all, I'm also a Charlie's mom. Yes, a girl. you are. My daughter is also Charlie. Um, so nice to meet you. I, um, you know, you're, you're giving your child Diflucan, which is antifungal, which means your child has other fungal stuff going on. And um, it is very uncomfortable when you are, if you have fungal issues, and a lot of times this is affecting your gut as well. So um, that can disrupt sleep. And it's right at the very beginning right now. Activated charcoal, great. It's not going to have the same kind of thing, but Diflucan will. And that is likely what's going on. Now, there is a period of time, and I don't know when you've started, but there's this yeast die-off period, which is short. You know, if you start a Diflucan, the yeast is dying off, and it has a reaction. It does cause a totally different reaction in the body. And I would just be very patient and, and let the Diflucan do its thing. Um, and then obviously afterwards, you want to make sure you're careful with the diet because yeast can grow back. So just be um, sure that, you know, it's going to be rough for a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's, you're doing a very important thing. So I don't want you to disrupt that. Yeah. And um, just keep with it. Also, that aside, I want to say that melatonin does tend to do this thing, which is, um, well, not, not this thing, no. Because okay. I was going to say melatonin tends to like put the child to sleep and then w they wake up. Right. But what's happening with you is your child's just not falling asleep until five. So I don't know if you can talk to the doctor and see if you can change the timing of the uh, Diflucan. That might help. Yeah. See if there's a possibility or if they can give you permission to use something like Benadryl, um, where, which will help your child to sleep during this phase. Yeah, the first time you do anything like a Diflucan, uh, I remember very distinctly when yeah. we did that and, and I was just ready to like call it quits on everything. Yeah, for sure. Until somebody really explained die off to me and said, this, yeah. this is evidence that it's working. Yes. Wait it out. Yes. And then the day that it finally, that it won, was over. Mm -hmm. that it overcame the yeast, it was life changing. I, the only thing I will say is make sure that you really understand what the schedule is because I remember when we were doing Diflucan that it was like Diflucan and then you had to wait an hour and then 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 there was something else like that. I think it was flagell and then we had to wait an hour and then was the charcoal yeah because you had to the charcoal absorb what absorbs you have to what be kills. careful with that so you've got to be yeah. exactly the the you can't just you can't give the two of them together definitely not it's a certain number of hours go back to your doctor right. and make sure you're giving it on the right schedule but you'll get yeah, there you'll, you will get there it's hard but but it's the positive thing is that you're Killing the yeast. Yes. So, and that will make a humongous difference. It really will. Um, Autism Journey with Elijah says, I remember uh, I slept the first full night. I woke up uh, and I, I slept more than I was used to. And I got scared because of him being an eloper. And I thought that he'd gotten out because he had slept. It's, it is. That's why I say the sleeping thing, it isn't just about our kids. It becomes about the anxiety we have. But I'm glad that you're getting more sleep now because, you know, 
lack of sleep is not a good thing for anybody. Very, very hard. Um, and our journey, Cameras New Life, says, finally, we got a sleep schedule with a visual timer. Transition is hard, but it helps. Love that. Congratulations on doing that, because that is tough. Andrea has written in and said, good morning. My three-year-old son is working on prepositions. Oh, that's such a fun time. I, she said sarcastically. <laughs> but it can be. Uh, his BCBA said he is not grasping the concept of in-between. Any suggestions? Yeah. Well, we have I mean, a video somewhere of Sue Cho explaining how to teach this. Oh, really? But I don't know where that would be. We'd have to look for it. But I mean, let's it's, hear what it's not, it isn't. You know, it's just teaching a child to put an object in between two other objects or putting themselves in between two other objects. And I'm not sure which order your child has gone, if they've mastered all the other ones. This is kind of usually it's just a perceptual thing where your child, it just is a matter of teaching the child that there's two other objects. And I think if you can identify or have the child actually touch the two other objects when you say put in between. I also don't know if you're doing it receptively right now or expressively. In other words, is the object being placed in between the other two and you're saying, where is it? That would be expressive. Or are you having the child place it in between two objects? So I think that it's, it's a matter of making sure that the child is visually seeing the other two objects Maybe they can label the other two objects, touch the other two objects, and then place in between. That's kind of a, it's an automatic prompt if you have the child touch the two objects before telling him to put in between, because you're not having him touch objects in any of the other prepositional situations. You can also, if it was me, I would also like have the child perhaps do it themselves, like stand in between mom and dad, that kind of stuff, and hopefully that will help. You know what my favorite thing is for prepositions, though? The book Go Dog Go. Oh, okay. Because it's all, you know, you read the book and it has all the prepositions in it, but all the dogs are in relation to each other so you can reinforce it and be like, which, you know, and you can work on colors, too, and say, is the blue dog up or is the blue dog yeah. down? You know, and I love, it's my favorite. It's so good. We don't realize, this is a really good example of how our kids are, you know, we don't, they're, how they're cataloging all this stuff in their brain, right? We don't realize when you teach the word in between that it involves two other stimuli, whereas when you yeah. teach the word next to, it involves one other stimulus. Yeah. So it's kind of important, I think, to teach that rule to the child, like how many things are in here? Two. Right. So where are you putting it? In between. How many things are here? One. Where are you putting it? Next to. Like give the rule to the child in some ways and it'll help. She says they're working on it expressively. So expressively. So you're placing it. Again, so that's easier in the sense that you just ask him, how many items? One, two, and I'm going to put this here. So where is it? And he start, he'll start to get the idea that it's in between always has to do with two items being there. And sometimes things take time. Just the other day, my husband and I were, were talking about something. There was a button that I was having a hard time buttoning. And I said, out of nowhere, I just said, do you remember when that was our entire world? The gem just couldn't get buttons. Yeah. Like, and I remember there was just, it was a period of time in our lives when that was the big thing. Oh, yeah. no, this is where we're going to stop. Yeah. He's never going to be able to do a button. Oh, woe is me. What will become of us, right? What will become of him? How will the rest of his life be? 
And then, you know, we worked on it mm -hmm. and within a period of time, and I'm sure it was longer than most children, but he, buttons are a non-issue now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so these things will take time, but just keep working on it. Um, there was something else there that I wanted to say. Uh, oh, I know. Our journey, Cameron's new life, says I accidentally fall asleep and wake frightened. Will you just do me a favor? Will you please get yourself <sighs> checked for sleep apnea? Um, because I wish I had done that 10 years before. When you're waking up and gasping, um, sometimes it's because you've got cortisol and you've got anxiety and all those other things. And sometimes it's because you're not getting enough oxygen. Ugh. And then you wake up and you feel like this panic. And I remember the first time it happened to me, I thought it was a panic attack. I woke, at first I thought I was having a heart attack. And I woke Jim up and I said, I'm having a heart attack. I can't breathe. And my heart is pounding. And it was because I wasn't, I had stopped breathing. Yeah. And now we know and I don't go anywhere without my CPAP thing and life is better. So do me a favor and just get Ugh. yourself checked or ask somebody else, am I, am I holding my breath in my sleep? Am I snoring in my sleep? Because I tell you, you, you know, if well, you're so not getting enough oxygen, it's not so good. That's so important. Yeah. So important. Because sometimes I think also with our parents, it, it's just conditioned fear. You know, like this example of my child is a eloper. Yeah. Like that is terrifying, right? Absolutely. You, you train yourself to never sleep. Yes. Because you're like worried what's going to happen to your child when you're sleeping. So it's very hard to know if it's a physical thing or a mental thing. And it's so important for you to get that checked out. Because you guys, like one of the things we just forget is you cannot be there if you, for your child. If you're not sleeping, if you're not yep. doing well, that's so important to take care of yourself. Absolutely. Charlie's mom wrote in and said, thank you, Dr. Doreen. I got your card book and it's been very useful as I oh, learn more about so autism bad. and how to help Charlie. Are you opening new ABA centers? Oh, Charlie's mom. Uh, so I have told a lot of our viewers that I, this is a very strange phase in my life right now where I was retired. Now I just reacquired card. Not quite yet. I will be owning it as of next week, hopefully, if all goes well. And um, right now I'm really going to focus for the for next year, I would say, on just trying very hard to understand what I need to do for the business of CARD uh, to help it improve because it has not done, it's, you know, it's public knowledge that CARD filed for bankruptcy. I was away from CARD for the past five years. And so I need to go back in and figure out what I need to do to help the employees, to help the patients and to help the business and to bring it all together. And once we've gotten healthy again, like I just said, it's so the same thing I just said is take care of yourself before you can take care of others. Right. Once the existing patients and employees and the business have become healthy again, then yes, we will be looking at uh, expansion into areas that we need to help. And I'm going to just say it should be noted that the company was always healthy when you were running it. Thank you. So Let's try um, to get it back there. There we go. Uh, I think this is going to be our last question. Ajitha has said, hello, doctor. My son, who is five years old, writes words or alphabets in the air when he does not have access to a book or a writing pad. He does that while in the mall or in the car. How to handle this? Yeah. So uh, this is... And a... Blake wants to know why is that a bad thing? Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So we don't... 
Um, so first of all, if a child is doing a lot of um, words and alphabet, it's very, very likely that he has hyperlexia, which means he, the child is going to learn reading faster, is just familiar with, and loves letters and, and sometimes numbers as well. Our kids, some of our kids are like that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It is a great thing in the sense that it opens up not only a world of books for your child to learn from, but it also opens up the ability for your behavioral team to teach vocalization and conversation and communication through writing. And we don't always have that tool when it's another child who's not learned writing and reading and isn't interested. Yeah. But if your child is interested, it, it's a huge tool that your behavioral team will use to get your child to communicate more verbally. So that's a lovely thing. Um, I think you do need to redirect it. For instance, if your child is, um, I thought you said, when he doesn't have access. So, you know, I, I want our kids to ha be able to learn from observation of their environment as well. And if you're doing this a lot of the time, you're not paying attention to the stuff that's around you. So I think it would be good to redirect or, or you know, when he starts doing that, teach him to ask for, can I have my notebook? Can I have my leapfrog? Can I have my book? Can I have something? that he can actually functionally and adaptively use in that manner. To write with. To write or read or type or whatever yeah. it is that he, or even if he's younger, just to put, you know, letters in an alphabet board or something like that. But, um, but that it, it doesn't prevent him from looking around and also observing everything else because that's the only concern. Other than that, Encourage it, like go take it and it's, it's like children who have a musical sense and they learn to play a musical instrument earlier. Same thing, teach yeah. him. And I love Blake uh, said, eek, I am autistic, but I, that's not an eek for us, that's a welcome. We're yeah. so glad you're here and I love that perspective because I think sometimes there are behaviors like that that a parent goes, I don't know what that is, yeah. I, that's concerning to me and it doesn't need to be and, and we appreciate that and, point and of view. And sometimes Blake. some of these things are strengths. They just don't Absolutely. immediately appear that way because they stand out. But this in particular is a strength. There we go. We're out of time, unfortunately. I want to remind everybody you can go to AskDrDoreen.com and you can send in questions. We are not going to be live next week um, because we're not. And <laughs> you're I'm away. Out of town. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, but uh, we will be, I think we're back the day after Labor Day. I don't know. I'll get back to you guys on that. But um, so thrilled that we had this time to be here. I want to remind you that we're doing live shows tomorrow, um, that we will be here with Matt Asner and with um, Nava. Nava. Thank you. Uh, Paskowitz Asner, uh, that she'll be here as well. We're talking about a big concert that they Ooh, have so coming exciting. up on September 9th. I cannot wait. And um, they, we've announced already here that Logan Shepard, who we've t talked about here before on the show, um, who really, his family is the one who introduced me to you. Well, so I owe them the so best much. People. He is an amazing drummer, an amazing <sighs> light in this community. So exciting. He'll be playing with Toto. Yeah. But they announced this week, too, that Chris Tenney, who is one of the people featured on our Stories from the Spectrum, a stand-up comedian, he's the one who does the car stuff. 
um, that he's a car enthusiast, and so he goes to car shows and he tapes it and narrates it for us on Stories from the Spectrum. He's also performing at it with Ringo. Oh, and yeah, let's not forget Ringo Starr. Ringo, Star. Ringo <laughs> and a yeah. few other people. It's going to be amazing. And Chris Hayes. So anyway, they're going to be talking with that, us about that tomorrow. Um, and then we've got more stuff coming up. But we need to go. Thank you all for being here. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone. Don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.